Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray again. Lord, now we come to you as children, as students, Lord, as uh wanting to learn from our Heavenly Father. So teach us, we pray, through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan it is, is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay, so, in our last study, you remember how we saw this great importance that John the Baptist made in verse 11 when he said, He that cometh after me is mightier than I Those are the words that he used to introduce the Messiah to the people, to the people of Israel. The great Messiah who was promised over and over again to the people. He's going to come. The great deliverer is coming. He's going to crush the head of the devil. He's going to free the people. And this is the Messiah that's the seed of the woman that's going to come as the son of David. This is him. And so the people longed for him, just like the hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel. They longed for him. And so John the Baptist comes, and he introduces him with the words, he, he, that he that cometh after me is mightier than I. And after that announcement, then we come to verse, 11, verse 13, which it, where it says, then cometh Jesus. And with those words, we understand that he came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized of him. And that's it. Just those simple words. He was, he has come. The Messiah has come. The deliverer has arrived. Then cometh Jesus. I mean, this is, it just doesn't seem enough to, to announce that, that the king of the universe has come to his creation, has come to earth. Then cometh Jesus. It seems to fall so short to announce that God is now appearing as a man. He's coming to die for man's sins. He's coming to defeat the devil. 
I mean, here's God as a man, and, and that's all that's said. Then cometh Jesus. I mean, so humble, so meek a statement to describe the Son of God. But this tells us so much about the character of God. God is humble. God is meek. And these words that are used to announce the coming of God to some as, as man on earth, and then cometh Jesus, it's in perfect keeping with the character of God. That's expressed in Isaiah 45.15. Isaiah 45.15 says, Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. So then cometh Jesus, and this is how the God of Israel, hiding himself in a man in Jesus the Savior, has come. Just like it says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was in Christ. This is the great Emmanuel. Okay. So here he is. Just uh, he, he's come now. First Timothy three sixteen says God was manifest in the flesh. Here he is. Just then cometh Jesus. And really, when this happened at this time, for the most part, except for a few individuals, the people of Israel were asleep. They were asleep. They didn't recognize him. He just looked like any other normal man. He doesn't look like anything special. But this was God. He was God. And Israel is asleep to the fact that Jesus is God. They're asleep just like Jacob was asleep in the desert when he ran away from home to to go to his uncle Laban's. And he's asleep in the night in Genesis 28, and then he wakes up. And when he does that, it's kind of symbolic of Israel's going to wake up from their sleep, and they're going to realize when they wake up that Jesus was God, when the people are they're going to wake up, and they're going to say the same words that Jacob said when he woke up in Genesis 28.16. In Genesis 28.16, it reads, And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. He didn't know. I mean, God was there, and he says, God was here. I didn't know. So when Israel wakes up out of their sleep, they're going to say the same thing. Surely Jesus is the Lord, and I didn't know. I knew it not. You know, I reminded this last week when when I, I sent a link to a rabbi's wife about a Jewish man who made millions of dollars in business and then lost it all, and when he was rock bottom, then he turned to the Lord Jesus and he was saved, and he was telling on this, on this testimony in YouTube about, about how he found that Jesus was God. So the rabbi's write, wife writes back to me, and she writes back to me, and with a question, and it said, where is God? You know? In other words, where is God in all that? I mean, I wrote her about Jesus being God, and she says, where is God? Well, even John the Baptist didn't know who he was. And he said that in John 131. John 131, John the Baptist says, I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. So John the Baptist, very much like the people of Israel, says, I knew him not. And John the Baptist remained in that state of not knowing him until it was revealed to him 
that Jesus was the Messiah, was God. It says there in John one twenty nine. John one twenty nine. the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I am I come baptized with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode on him, and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God, or you could put it another way, that this is God the Son, See, so this is the long-awaited lamb. This is the Messiah. This is the Passover lamb that's going to save God's family of man from their sins. And John preaches that, and when it's revealed to him who he is, John steps back and he says, yes, he's the Messiah, but he's the Son of God. He's God the Son. Then cometh Jesus. Then, in verse 13, really, it's then cometh God. Israel is asleep. Then cometh Jesus, they only see the man. And they'll continue to see that until they awake out of their sleep and they'll say, the Lord was Jesus and I knew it not. So when verse 13 says, then cometh Jesus, this is like him emerging out from behind the drapes and he's been concealed. It's the beginning of his public ministry now and uh, we saw him at his birth already. We saw the angels singing and, and, and the magi coming and the shepherds coming. We saw him again when he was brought to the temple, when he was dedicated to the Lord. And in Luke 2.22, Luke 2.22, when it talks about the days of Mary's purification being accomplished, they brought the Lord to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And it says, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice to that which is said of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Imagine that. That's what the Lord is called, the consolation of Israel. The Holy Ghost was upon him, was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost. He should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He's called the Lord's Messiah there. And he came by the Spirit in the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. All these names of the Lord. He's the Lord's Christ. He's the consolation of Israel. He's salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. And so he blesses him. Simon blesses him. And he tells Mary, you're going to have extreme sorrow in your life. As a matter of fact, it's going to be like a sword is going to pierce straight through your heart. And so we see the Lord there. And then he's not seen for, for really 12 years until one Passover. In one Passover, it happened that he got lost, or they thought he got lost. But in Luke 2.40, it says, Luke 2.40, that he grew, he waxed strong in spirit, he was filled with wisdom, the grace of God was on him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of, the Tabern- uh, Feast of Passover, 
And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child, Jesus, tarried behind in Jerusalem. Joseph and his mother knew it not. They, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished in his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Now, these are the first recorded words of the Lord. That he, and it's all about, he has to be about his father's business. What is his father's business? His father's business was John 3.16. His father's business was God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. That's his father's business. He has to be about his father's business. He's 12 years old. We haven't seen anything of him from, from the time that he was born until he's 12 years old. Here are his first words. And then he's kept in, and then again, as far as Israel's concerned, there's silence. He's hid from Israel's eyes. It's now 18 years later. He's 30 years old. He comes out from the shadows, and he's presented to Israel with these very simple words, then cometh Jesus. He was in Galilee, and there the Spirit of God had indicated to him when he was 30 years old, it's time. The time has arrived. And very much in keeping with what that phase when he took his final walk to the cross and started off with the words of John 17, 1, John 17, 1. These words spake Jesus and lift up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, and son may glorify thee. At that time, that was the time when his actual sufferings would start, which all culminated in his death on the cross. And his comment was, as he started on that last road to the cross, was, Father, the hour is come. His whole life was just one long road to the cross. So John the Baptist saw him in John 1, 29, and John said, this is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And when the Lord heard those words of John, he must have thought to himself, yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. I am the Lamb of God. And I've started down that long road that leads to the cross. Like the condemned who start on their road and they make that turn and they see the gallows, they see the hangman's noose, they see the electric chair, they see the door to the gas chamber, they see the fire, the wall for the firing squad. They realize this is the last steps of my final walk. So the Lord knew his life was just one long steps, long walk to the cross. So he's in Nazareth, before he comes here to John, he's in Nazareth, he's in the region of Galilee where he's lived his whole life And then this one day, he hears the call of, it's time. It's time to enter the next phase on the road to the cross. The road of your three years of public ministry that will be culminated in your sacrificial death. So he hears this call, it's time to leave Galilee and go to Jordan. And at that time, he he might have said, he could have said, the hours come for me to leave my home and start my public ministry The hour has come for me to start down the next part of the road that leads to Calvary, to the cross. So he starts down this road, and he starts walking. 
from Nazareth to Galilee to the River Jordan where John was baptizing. And just think about that walk. That was a very important walk. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a few hours walk. It was a few days. So there's the Lord, and he's walking on this road from Galilee to Jordan. He's all alone during those days. He walks alone, and as he's walking there, he's got time to think. He's got a lot of time to think, and he's got time to really confront, be, confront these questions. Are you really sure that you're willing to do this? Are you really sure that you're willing to sacrifice your high place as God to be a servant of men? Are you really sure that you're willing to sacrifice your honor to be disgraced and despised and mocked? Are you really sure that you're willing to sacrifice your happiness in life to become a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? You really sure that you're willing to sacrifice your life and die, not just any death, but the most horrible, torturous death of the cross? So he's walking along these days. He's all alone. And these questions are in front of him when you could just, with each step, he's got to be confronted with these questions. He's got to answer these questions. And each step that he takes during those days, from he's walking from Galilee to Jordan, he makes his affirmed resolution of, yes, I'm sure, yes, I'm sure, yes, I will be the Lamb of God. Yes, my delight is to do the will of my Father. The will of my Father is that no man should perish, but that all should believe into me as the, as the Lamb of God and, and who takes away the sin of the world. And so he walks, and he walks alone. And there's the days, and, and if you wanted to give a title for this walk, you could say this is the walk of his resolve. It's the walk of his resolution. It's the walk of his affirmation. And we see the Lord all alone. He's taking this walk from Galilee to Jordan River. And when we do that, we see another walk, another long walk that took several days when, like the Lord, that person also had to confront the questions of, are you sure? Are you really sure? And that person was Abraham. Abraham, who was called to sacrifice his son Isaac, and he had to make his long walk to Moriah, to Mount Moriah. That was his walk of his resolve, as, as, as recorded for us in Genesis 22, Genesis 22, Genesis 22, 1. It came to pass after these day, things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, he said, behold, I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, Isaac, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I'll tell thee of. And Abraham, again, he's not all alone, but he is all alone. He's all alone because nobody else knows this except him. Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, clave the wood for the burnt offering, rose up, went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, he's been walking for three days, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto the young men, Abide you here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the boner offering, laid it upon Isaac his son, took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Again, he's being confronted. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. 
and came to the place that God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac's son, laid him on the altar upon the wood, stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son, and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven. Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. So just as the Lord Jesus heard the call in Galilee to start his walk to Jordan on the, on the road to the cross, Abraham hears the call. Abraham hears the call. Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, Isaac, and offer him there. So the distance from Galilee to Jordan, it might have been about three days. It's, it's know, about 50 miles or so. It might have been just like Abraham. And during this, these days, the Lord again has to answer these questions. Are you really sure? It's not too late. It's not too late to say no. It's not too late to say, you know, call for the angels and they'll come and take you out of all this. Is it still yes? Just like Abraham. So the Lord Jesus comes and he wants to be baptized by John. So he comes to be baptized. It's very humiliating. I mean, think of that. It's very humiliating for the Lord. He's standing among sinners who are there. It's noisy because all those sinners are are confessing their sins. They're repenting of their sins. They're coming to be baptized, and he's standing in line with them. He's standing among them to be baptized. He's, he's come to the baptism of sinners, and he's not a sinner, and he's not confessing any sins because there's nothing for him to confess. He's not repenting of any sins because he never sinned, as it says in Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, Without sin in Hebrews 4, 15. Hebrews 7, Hebrews 7, 26, 7, 26 says, such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. He's separate from sinners, but he's among sinners. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, he hath made him to be the sin offering for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. He didn't know sin. He's among people who knew sin pretty well. In 1 John 3, 5, it says, you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So the Bible over and over again makes this point. There was no sin in him. He never sinned. He was undefiled. And yet he's standing in this line of all these sinners, in the baptism of sinners. He's standing there in line with the sinners. And if you were going to make a count. Someone comes along and says, how many people are in that line? How long is the line? How long is it going to take? So how many people are in that line? And somebody came along and they go, this sinner and one and next sinner two, next sinner three, next sinner four and so forth. And then you get to to the Lord and and they say, and there's the Lord and they give account for him too. He's in their number. He's in the number of the line there. Just like it says in Isaiah 53.12, Isaiah 53.12, he was numbered with the transgressors. Yes, he was counted, just like all of them were in that line, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53.12. He hasn't sinned, but he's among the sinners. He's going to bear the sin of the sinners, and he's going to make intercession to save the sinners from their sins, and he's in line. Another one of the humiliations that he has suffered. His whole life is one of humiliations. First, there was the humiliation of coming from a home, at least at a house, the roof over his head, down to be born in a stable. First of all, there's no place. And they said, okay, go out there with the animals. In Bethlehem, that's humiliating. Then second, there was the humiliation of, of being 
dedicated in the temple of Jerusalem and then having to go down to Egypt. It was humiliating. And there was a humiliation of going now from his home in, in Nazareth to a muddy river in Jordan in the wilderness. And, and forth this humiliation of, of being called by the angel in Luke one thirty five. Luke one thirty five. that holy thing, he's in line there, he's in line with, for the baptism of sinners. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 